everybody and welcome to the EC Method. I am one of your coaches, Chloe Maidley. And I am your other coach, Emma Story Gordon. Our goal at the EC Method is to encourage, educate and empower you to get the results that you've always wanted. Listen to our weekly podcasts, go to our website, theecmethod.co.uk or simply follow us on Instagram to get more information. Mm, it's recording but we're not okay we're live great i think your computer's being it's am i slow on your side well that came up i saw that it was recording a few seconds before you did oh no i could see it was recording i just couldn't see it was live yet no live sorry i could see it was live on facebook and that never i never see it before you normally oh it is like there might be some connection problems but hopefully it's fine right so I saved a post because I thought this is a great one to delve into um it was from Polly okay so she says you've already seen it obviously it says need some reassurance lovelies as I feel I'm getting nowhere so Christmas Chloe advised that I up my step to 13,000 and moved my weight from 10.8 was stuck gift months to 10.5 which is great christmas came with the extra pounds and i happily accepted as consistency was patchy um but now having got back into routine i'm still stuck at 10.8 do you think my body is just happy here do you think it gets used to the 13,000 steps a day does that sound crazy my mindset is still very positive i'm eating well getting my workouts in as much as life will allow um i'm not in the bucket yet but concerned the old unhelpful chatter will get louder i'm a post-menopausal shorty i'm on 1500 calories looking for ideas sorry i've not got any photos this round on another note my wee mum turns 80 um and i had a party until four in the morning wow with your 80 year old mother yeah your mum's a G. She sounds like a legend. Um, so anyway, uh, it, I, I had a look at this and I think this is quite common. And then we spoke about it and she agreed. But I thought it was good to go over because 1500 calories is relatively low. And on that amount of like at that weight and on that amount of steps, you will be in a deficit. Like if you're eating 1500 calories, you will be in a deficit. So then the question is like, what do we do next? And I think a lot of people's go-to is, oh, well, I'll just reduce my calories, which inevitably leads to lack of adherence, not just from the standpoint of it's less calories, but more from the expectation of that. Because as soon as you get below 1500, it's like that even sounds really low. And your expectation of what you're going to feel like, it has a really big impact on how you genuinely feel. And one really cool study on this that I've probably spoke about before is this milkshake study where they take participants in, they give them a milkshake and it says like indulgent shake on the front. And then they measure their hunger levels via ghrelin levels in the blood afterwards. And after the indulgent milkshake, their hunger levels have dropped significantly. Then they bring them in again and they give them like the equivalent of like a slim fast shake, like something that says low calories on the front and is really light. And unsurprisingly after drinking that shake 
their hunger levels don't drop as much as after they had the indulgent shake. But like the plot twist of the whole study is that it was exactly the same shake. The only difference was their expectation. And we see this all the time in coaching that if we were like, oh, you're on really low calories, you're on 1400 calories, you're going to be hungry, whether you are physiologically hungry or not. But what will actually to the point you will be physiologically hungry because of your expectations of hunger, less so because of the absolute calorie number. So one thing to kind of think about, and I thought this was a good um, question to, to bring this up, is, is like how you think about dieting and your mindset going into it. And if you think oh, I'm on a diet, I'm going to be hungry because you will be yeah. and not just like your expectations, but on a physiological level, you will be. Uh, I don't think people realize how big an impact that can have. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And anecdotally, obviously, that's a that's a study um, that has been. I mean, how old is that now? It's not that old because the research is still relatively young. Um, yeah, but there's I, loads I of studies that they that that group have done that are very similar. They're kind of like expectations and how that can have a real physiological impact which is just yeah. mind-blowing and this is why I always recommend to people who I think psychologically are interested in and have issues with the psychological approach to quote-unquote dieting that they read The Hungry Brain because it's such a fascinating book and it's filled with these kinds of studies about how humans act around food and um, what influences how how we behave um, you know what why we consistently even if we have a real goal of fat loss and it's genuine why we consistently find ourselves overeating um when we have a goal and and some days of the week we're perfectly happy and then bang all of a sudden something will happen and it gets really really hard and you lose all control and it's very human and I think once you understand the psychology behind it you're much more likely to be able to control uh, well not control but kind of let like watch those kind of urges happen and let them pass you by without so much t- torment and turmoil um, but I, I, you know, as I said, anecdotally in the past, it, I'm sure we all remember back in the day, whether it was us younger versions of ourselves or kind of our, our parents generation being like, obviously I'm not full. I just had a salad. And it's like, it's really interesting because once you actually understand nutrition and you understand, um, how different foods break down in the body, having a big voluminous veggie salad is going to be much more satiating than having a small bowl of penne pasta with you know tomato sauce and and parmesan on it like it much more so um yet for years people are like oh i'm so hungry because i'm dieting but actually the foods they're eating were far more satiating and really the people who genuinely physiologically not psychologically not behaviorally physiologically will really struggle on low low calories are the people who are very very lean um and 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 that's that's just a fact it's just a basic physiological fact now it, it can also go on to the other side of the spectrum when we talk about you know real obesity and we talk about excessive amounts of body fat and leptin signaling obviously that's another thing in and of itself but if, if you're kind of middle of the road you've got some body fat to lose you're on 1500 calories you know you can absolutely be satiated on that diet and physiologically going through that process so there is a MS com- completely knocked out of the park on what a brilliant way to start there's a huge psychological element to dieting, if probably the biggest um, in terms of whether or not you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think massively underrated because I think most people are still looking for the answer in the right calorie target for them. 
like it, it's so irrelevant like the, your mindset is so much more important than the calorie target and the reason that we like talking about these studies and there being like real physiological evidence of this is because it can sound quite woo woo right it can almost sound like manifestation right what you expect you will manifest but like there's proof that that is true it's like if you expect to be hungry not only will you be hungry from a like perception point of view on a questionnaire like what you would rate out of 10 but you will be hungry on a physiological level but like you will have higher hunger levels and I think that realization is quite eye-opening to people so check check in on your expectations um and if you want to look more into this, like in in some ways, it's quite like the placebo and the nocebo effect, where yeah. actually like nocebo is quite an interesting one to look at. And I remember working on a study on statins and the, when, when you do studies in medical research, especially you'll have double blind placebo studies. So that means that you won't know if you're having the active treatment or you're having a placebo. And there were so many people who experienced statin side effects when they were taking the placebo, when they were on the placebo arm of the, the trial. Now that's not to say that they made up those symptoms, but they were experiencing them for sure because they expected to experience them. And a lot of them like had really bad headaches or had really bad like painful muscles and things. And it's amazing what the body can do when it's expecting something. Um, so yeah, I think that the psychology around dieting is, is something that probably not enough people pay attention to because it's like quite a nuanced topic and it's quite hard to action a lot of the time. Yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's like everybody, everybody who's been coaching for a long time and is a switched on coach says I probably would have had more success if I studied psychology. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah, true. once you know the basics. Yeah, we would have. This is why, like, we're always like, you know, people might start the easy method and think these calorie targets are a little bit generic. And do you know what? They, like, we'll put our hands up. Like, they are because they're not that important. And actually, when the coaching comes in and we need to make adaptations, like that, that's important. But equally, like your mindset coming into this. This is why we spend so much time, like, on these lives and talking about these things and talking about research and using different people's examples and how we would coach them and talking you through the process and your own limiting beliefs and your expectations is so much more important than a calorie target. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's a great place to start on. I just wanted to also really quickly touch on Laura and um, who was it? Yeah, Dallas, today, uh, we've had two girls in the last two days, basically, who are finding it hard to, and I've already, I don't want to go over, you know, coaching tips, practical tips, behavioral tips on how to adhere to calories, because I've done it with both of them and we've done it to death, but I just wanted to kind of drive home this point. Um, both of them struggling with the scales when, you know, four out of seven days in the week, they're not adhering to the calories. And the, the, it's so interesting when you see it right there in black and white, just kind of goes to prove everything that Emma and I have been saying all that focus is going on the scales but the problem started way over here not here um and that just goes to show like how massively unhelpful the scales can be sometimes if you are struggling to adhere to calories come to emma and i and that is the problem we will tackle and until we have tackled that we don't give a shit about what your ways weigh-ins are they're completely um irrelevant they are completely unhelpful 
They are incredibly murky and unreliable. Um, all, we, all we need to focus on is finding a calorie account and potentially a food intake, some specific choices of food or specific meal timing that you're going to find enjoyable, easy to adhere to, that's going to get you to the goal. It might even go a step beyond that of, you know, I've definitely, especially in my one-to-ones, had so many clients in the last couple of years that I actually don't care about having a six pack. It's not worth it to me. Like I'm already fit, healthy and shape. I can't adhere to calories. I don't fucking care deep, deep down. Um, so those are conversations we need to have. And if that is you, if you are struggling to adhere, stop weighing in. It's not relevant to your journey right now or the hurdles that you face. Um, and I, like I say, you know, I think when I say that, a lot of people will be like, well, obviously. Well, even the people struggling, it will be like, obviously, that's the problem, not the scales. You genuinely can read it there in black and white. I am not adhering to my calories and the scales aren't dropping. Like I'm panicking. They are going to drop, right? And it's like, well, no, not, not if you don't adhere. So something to for everybody to really think about and embrace. Same thing, just lastly, read the scales. If you're on your period and it's freaking you out that they're going up, if you've just gone on holiday and you know that you had a great, fun, indulgent time, why weigh in for a week or two? Don't bother. Um, be, guys, come on, like be, we always say, you know, parent yourself, parent yourself, parent yourself. Do that with the scales as well. Yeah, I think like perspective and also like the writing things down is so underrated and as you write it down you kind of realize these things I think we get a lot of people who have seen this in posts they'll write the whole post and then at the end they're like oh I kind of answered my own question here like now that I've written it down I can see where I've been going wrong and I can see what I need to do and that's why we try and get you to do the self-assessments every week because you can see what's happening and you look back at what you're doing and what can be improved and it helps you create a bit of perspective over what you're doing and review what you're doing and learn from your mistakes and improve for the next week um something that we touched on under that post with Polly was just like how inaccurate calorie tracking can be and how it's a really hard thing to do accurately and she was like actually yeah I am when I'm feeding my kids like I don't know like having a little bit of trying something and kind of mindlessly eating little things that probably add up over the day so actually that 1500 calories might look more like 1700 calories and that might be why she's not in a deficit so it's like noticing yeah. things like that rather than just being like, let's drop you to 1400. And then the problem with that being, I expect to be really hungry on 1400. It feels really restrictive. And then that kind of spirals into lack of adherence and then lack of results. Yeah, a hundred percent. And this is the thing, okay, this is where we start to sound like psychotic coaches and we don't, we really want to avoid that at all costs. You know, like we say, I say this all the time, none of you are getting on stage to compete at essential levels of body fat. Like, you know, there is a limit to how much we care about your adherence in really minute behaviors, like trying the soup that you're cooking for the kids. But that being said, if you are trying things, taking spoonfuls of things, you know that you're dieting, so you can't have that turkey dinosaur. You know, we've done the turkey dinosaur bit a few times. Um, just the best. <laughs> like who doesn't want a breaded stegosaurus made of turkey i just don't know i don't know um but these things over the course of the day you're talking 50 calories here 20 calories there 100 calories here before you know it you're up at maintenance every day you're you're not going to see anything so you need to check yourself and again this is where parenting yourself when you're cooking in the kitchen when you're just especially when you've got kids i know this is the main thing with like with parents you know mothers 
finishing off their kids food and stuff like that because when you're dieting as well you really want to think oh it won't count it's free calories because it's not on my plate and there's only like a quarter of a plate of a plastic thomas the tank engine corner left <laughs> it still fucking counts and you know it does <laughs> yeah i think it, you'll notice as well so much less satiating like say you do that throughout the day like polly was talking about like oh i'll lick like i'll lick the knife of nutella or something like that which does end yeah. up having like a an impact and it adds up over the day and it compounds but what would be better than that is like let's say it adds up to 200 calories over the day sitting down and actually enjoying a meal of 200 calories or like something enjoyable like I don't know like sitting down and having a protein bar and a cup of tea it's going to make you way more satiated and feel like you've actually consumed something than little like nibbles here and there so it's it's something to be aware of and also but if you are the kind of person like so I do this sometimes when I'm dieting and I like it I get Obviously, we get, we get sent the grenade um, spread. <laughs> I swear to God, Emma, if you haven't tried it, the, the salted caramel one is like, ugh. Anyway, so sometimes when I don't really have the calories to, you know, splurge on whatever, but I do have a sweet tooth, I will dip in a teaspoon of um, into the jar and have it. And then I track it. A teaspoon is 10 grams. So just fucking track it. You know, if it's a tablespoon, you 15, but if it's heaped, talking closer to 20, 25, like be be real about how much is on the spoon. <laughs> Get like a mountain. You're like, that's my kind of only one teaspoon. <laughs> Fine. So don't re-trick yourself with that, but just track it. Like in the snack section, if you have to have the turkey dinosaur, put it in. Like, you know, and, and again, like I say, it sounds psychotic, but look, we're just going to call a spade a spade. If you really have a fatless goal and you're not fucking around and these behaviors are tripping you up, you either have to change them or you have to account for them. And that's it. Done. Right. Okay. Kelly. Hi, ladies. Just wondering about rest between sets during workouts, please. I sometimes have to stay on the same piece of equipment between sets or someone else will jump in at the gym. Currently leaving approximately one minute between sets and doing three sets. Should I be leaving longer between sets and maybe doing four sets? Do the sets Emma. that are programmed on the workout. Don't change those. Sets and reps stay the same. Um, if there's, I mean, if there's time and you legitimately can, I would have longer rest because then you can lift heavier weights, then you can create more volume over your session and then you'll get better hypertrophy results. But if, you know the gym is massively busy and you don't want to be sitting on the machine for three minutes in between sets like one one minute's fine it's quite short but maybe two minutes would be better anything to add <laughs> no okay um okay just a lot of love for turkey dinosaurs and yeah. and hoops yeah. spaghetti hoops james doesn't like spaghetti hoops and i can't fathom it and he always says to me when I make him a, a fried English a fried English <laughs> full English he's like don't put the beans on the toast because it makes the toast soggy and I'm like that's the whole fucking point that is the, yeah. that is the mecca of beans on toast it's the soggy toast and just whatever very strange I, yeah um okay Laura hi lovely Clemmer I'm really enjoying this round and focusing on my form I've been seeing Insta posts about focusing on the eccentric part of the movement to increase muscle building. Is this a case of making sure movement is slow? Um, I work I work out at home with dumbbells and barbells and not really sure how to implement it. Thank you. 
um, it, it, doing really focusing on the eccentric, the negative rep is definitely a good idea if you're at home with your dumbbells and your barbells. Um, no, uh, so it, it, doing time under tension, which is anything more than a cadence of five, five, so five in the concentric, five in the eccentric, um, has actually been shown to have a negative impact on muscle hypertrophy. Um, that being said, there is a time and a place for time under tension. Like I say, if home workouts, you know, are a problem for you in terms of hitting failure, it can help, but it's, you know, it, it's not the best if you've got adequate weights that you can hit failure within the right hypertrophy range. Um, if you're rehabbing, time under tension can be really good and really beneficial and really um, important, depending on what, what the injury and the rehab protocol is. But in terms of optimal muscle hypertrophy, no. Um, a cadence of, you know, 4-4 four, four is probably the slowest way you want to be at if the data is anything to go by. That being said, yeah, negative reps, so going slow on the eccentric is not only good for form and control and injury prevention, it's also really good for increasing strength and recruiting the best, you know, the most amount of muscle fibers and getting the most bang for your buck. So, yeah. Yeah, I think most people could probably do with lifting a little bit slower, but it's more from a control standpoint than an eccentric loading standpoint. And I think the problem with doing too much eccentric loading is it can impact your total volume, which we know is the biggest um, driver of hypertrophy. So I wouldn't do it excessively. Uh, another reason I think that people kind of like it or gravitate towards it is because it will give you much worse DOMS. So you'll be sore after the workout. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, if I'm sore, that must mean I have, will have bigger muscles which yeah. isn't necessarily the case. Yeah, nothing to add. Okay, we're up to date on the live. Okay, fellow. Oh, I keep losing it, okay. Every time I go on to feature, it's just that still of your face on YouTube. <laughs> okay. Joe Kitson. Am I in the right group? Yeah. Joe Kitson. Hi. On the days where only a short workout is possible, I understand that prioritizing compound lifts is the best approach. Would it be possible to split a workout in half? Do one half one day. Sorry, I'm just making sure I am on the right thing. Do one half one day and do the other half the following day. If this is okay, Will it have any impact on the effectiveness of the workout? I sometimes have a small pocket of time, like when dinner is cooking, so I can fit in three sets of 10 reps of bicep curls, for example. Tar episode, Joe. No, I mean, Emma might say something different, but I don't want you guys splitting up your workouts because it's going to be suboptimal um, in terms of the actual workout session that you get in, that you're going to really, you know, in terms of the, the, the fitness, the failure, the fatigue, the adaptation of the workout, uh, you know, we want all, we want to tick all of these boxes um, in terms of your recovery thereafter. So doing legs, even if you're doing different exercises on one day, so like squats one day and then like lunges the next, like I'd really rather not. Um, and I just, I'm not, I'm not really interested in it. You know, if you want to be doing something while you've got, you know, while dinner's cooking, you know, go doing going for a little walk outside for 10 minutes is something that I would much prefer you to do. But even then, like, it's absolutely just if you want to do something. Or, or it's like a bonus. If you're going to go do 10 bicep curls, like, that's not a workout. That's just like, 
sure the dinner's cooking and rather than like sit in the kitchen and nibble on stuff I'm gonna go do some bicep curls like cool that's great but it's not a workout if if you're talking about splitting a workout in half like say an hour-long gym session or a 40-minute gym session into two it's not ideal but it's like I would be okay with you doing that and I guess you could argue there's a benefit but certainly not just like I'm going to go do three sets of bicep curls and because that's just breaking it up way too much if you're like oh I can quite finish this workout so I'm gonna split it up like that yeah not not so bad but not to the extent that as Chloe's saying like you're not going to really create any fatigue on the muscle um and then it just gets a bit like bitty and and also just like your focus during the session as well much better to do it as a whole if you can but yeah if it, if you're splitting up like two 20 to 30 minute sessions I mean you could argue it either way right you could be like technically you might recover better you might have more focus during the session but there, there comes a point of like you've split it up way too much and you're just doing like a couple of reps here and there it's not not going to have the same impact no um Oh, she's just said, sorry, she's just commented saying some days I only have 30 minutes. If you have 30 minutes for a workout, absolutely go and do a workout. Like even if you don't quite get it finished, fine. Like that's, that's perfect. But if you're like going to go do three sets of 10 bicep curls, like I wouldn't count that as a workout. I wouldn't bother. No. And I, you know, I agree with Emma. So I'll give you an example, guys. So when I train in the gym, (laughs) because I'm such a, an old school bro, I do body part splits. And a lot of the time I'll do back, like I've got one, two, three, four, five, five back exercises that I'll do in my in my back session. Um, and a lot of the time I'll finish within half an hour. And I know that I could, if I wanted to spend another half hour in the gym that day. And that's when I'll do upper body, shoulders, biceps, triceps, because I can nail that. I do that as a giant set. They're really small muscles. I can nail that in 20 minutes. And within an hour, I've now hit two body parts and I'm out. Sometimes I'll go into the gym with the intention of doing that. And because of whatever reason, all of a sudden I run out of time and I've done my half hour back workout and I'm like, I have to leave now. And that then the next day I'll go back and do upper body. That is perfectly okay, either which way. You know, I would just say making sure that you're within that, I would say hour and a half, certainly two hour training mark, that you're not overtraining one part of your body. You know, I see a lot of people come in as well with kind of workouts that they've either created themselves or have been given to them that have got a leg press, a squat, a leg extension, a lunge, a step up. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why have we got six exercises now that are all hitting the same muscle group? What are you doing? No, we don't do that. Um, You're going to waste time. Why don't we save some time? And then they're doing like the next day hamstrings and glutes. I'm like, why don't we just throw it all into one session and knock it all out the park? And then you've got recovery in the next one to two days. Um, So yeah, I just, I don't know where I was going with that, but hopefully that helps. <laughs> yeah, I think I think she wanted to say if she should do a 30-minute workout. And yes, absolutely, Joe. Mm. And normally what you'll find is like Parkinson's law, right? If you've got 30 minutes to do the workout, you normally actually get it done in 30 minutes. If you've got an hour, it takes you an hour. Yeah. Funny that. Yeah, exactly. Anything else in the live? Um no, Joe just says that was helpful. I understand not to split it up so small. Yeah. A um, bit of a different one though, guys. If you're talking home body weight exercises, like for or, or sessions, for example, you can get in like a really stellar home body weight, like Tabata circuit in like 20 minutes. Um, so yeah. 
Okay, Sophie Clark. Hi, when I'm doing legs at the gym, should I try and have a greater depth in my range or go heavier but not as deep, i.e. on squats? We're with you. <laughs> we were with you from the off. As soon as I go heavier, I definitely don't have as much range of motion. Um, so uh, I'll let Emma answer after I've said what I think, but I would always go for form and nailing your, your range over and nailing failure way over the intensity, which is how much you're lifting. Um, I mean, even if you were really training for strength, like if you were genuinely like coming in, like I want to be a badass power lifter one day, even then, you, you know. The, the well, lift- even more then, because then yeah, people even- are going to be like, that's a no lift if you don't it's get rid of motion. Exactly. Um, and also, you know, if you're, in terms of if you're doing it for, for physique reasons, you know, the, it's true. Yeah, you can get great results from doing partial squats in certain areas. And that's completely fine if you don't have the range of motion to go that deep. But if you do, if you have the ability to go that deep, it's the eccentric kind of peak of that squat, which is where the glutes are being hit. Um, so you definitely want to be doing that if you can. Agreed. Yeah. Lisa hi ladies firstly thank you so much for all of your wise words this is round two for me I didn't have a lot of excess energy oh we love you love it um and I've already hit my goal five foot five and 58 kgs now my question is about timings now I want to build some muscle and I understand I will put on a bit of body fat when I choose to do so but vainly, I'd quite like to be a bit slimmer for the summer and show off my gains. Um, maybe there'll be a bikini or two on a summer holes. So will I still get gains if I move? I think she means C. Will I still see gains if I move to a period of hypertrophy now with a view to losing body fat from, say, May through to the summer? Then come back into hypertrophy or maintenance at the autumn end of the year I know you said six months really ideal either side. I just wondered if I would be wasting my time doing this. Great question. And I think it was Claire. Yeah, it was Claire um, who asked something really similar the other day. Guys, we really don't, once you've nailed your goal, we really don't want you being like, and now I'm going to go into muscle building. And now I'm going to go back into fat loss because then I have a holiday, but then it's going to be winter. We don't want to do that. What we want to do is, I like, well, I'll let Emma speak after me, but I'm sure she'll have a similar thought on this. We want you to very slowly bring up calories. We want you to really make sure if, if you, if the goal is hypertrophy, you're absolutely nailing your workouts, working your tits off, hitting failure, mind to muscle connection, getting your protein in, bringing your calories up. But, and while a smid, like the scales will definitely go up. That's the goal. That's the intention. You're eating more, you're lifting, you're more inflamed. You're trying to gain muscle. And while you might gain a smidge more body fat, which will largely be unnoticeable, we don't want you now, now packing on the pounds so then you can come into fat loss again in a few months' time. Like, it's just ridiculous. You just don't need to do that. You know, having a little, having more calories and uh, so that you can fuel your workouts better, so you can recover from your workouts better, so that maybe you do have a smidge more, like I said, mostly unnoticeable body fat on you, which is really important for health, recovery, training, all of it it's what we want we don't want you pendulum swinging around um emma yeah i totally agree i think this comes from like on off seasons in bodybuilding where it might be a bit more appropriate because 
that's an absolute extreme and they've got down to absolutely shredded body fat levels and they're looking to completely optimize hypertrophy and that is their whole life and their whole pursuit for you like sitting around maintenance maybe erring on the side of a little bit of a surplus for a couple of months while you try and build some muscle and then like making a probably all you'll need to do now is make a tiny change if you wanted to lean up for a holiday like it might be like a couple of weeks of I don't know not going out for drinks every single or like I don't know not having three glasses of wine when you go out for drinks just having two and not having three pieces of toast in the morning just having two like you might make some like little swaps if you want to lean up but it would be like a couple of weeks of little swaps it's not this on-off mentality of now I'm dieting again now I'm back into hypertrophy now I'm dieting again like you're going to be sitting around maintenance now for the rest of your life and there will be periods of time where you put on a little bit of fat and as Chloe's saying basically unnoticeable and there will be times where you might want to lean up a little bit for an event and again it will be like a couple of weeks of making a little change not this whole I feel like I'm yo-yo dieting for my whole life so we don't want those like pendulum swings unless you're unless you're coming to us saying do you know what I want to be an IFBB pro and I want to do a massive off season and put on as much muscle as I possibly can then we might change our minds but for the vast majority of people, completely unnecessary to do that. And what will happen is you'll um, you'll just put on a lot of body fat and you've probably already saturated the speed at which you're going to put on muscle anyway. So after a certain amount of excess calories, you can't use all of those to build muscle. So you'll just end up building or storing a lot of excess energy. As you so lovely, lovely put it, lovely, whatever i'm so tired <laughs> i'm like words are coming out of my mouth but i'm not sure what they are or if they're in the right order no, no no that's confused me too as she's so lovely i don't think lovely is a word no it's I not but like she's it said it's lovely lovely it should yeah. be i'm okay. gonna write into the oxford dictionary I love all of Emma's points. There's a girl I follow who has been on my podcast. She's fantastic. I mean, her form and her her form is like some of the best lifting form I've ever seen. And she's brilliant. And she's she's now made it like to the top. Like she's competing at the Olympia. She's competing at the Arnold. She's made it to the top level of the sport. Although she's yet to place in, to get first call outs at those shows. She's fantastic. And she's really climbed her way up. And now that she's gone into this like elite level, She's going back to do the Olympia and the Arnolds this year. And she stayed lean. And I think she stayed lean between shows because she thinks that now she's like an elite athlete. And you can kind of, you get this from her post, but she should. But she's already tall and stringy. And I was like, I don't want to, I mean, I don't ever want to want to say like negative things about things that haven't happened yet. But I'm like, if I was your coach, I would have taken you out for a year at that level at least. And I would have had you gaining, including body fat. And I'm looking at her now and I'm like, you look the same. Like you're not it's gonna, you're gonna get the same placements again. She was just waste for the year. But like we're saying, if you're not getting on stage and competing and that you've come up to 1900 calories, you know, which is round about what she has and you're staying lean and you look great and you're feeding your body, that's the goal. Like for your, for your normal, quote unquote, normal person, that's the goal. Agreed. Um, okay, Can Chan, hey beauties. This week, I've started to feel tired training. Apart from my I hip knew thrusts, you would. 
I knew Kanshan would. I saw it coming. I saw it coming. You've been nailing it for so long. You've been bashing it out for so long. I was like, she's going to need a deload soon. And I wait, was waiting for oh. Okay. So, oh, wait. Oh, no. Yeah. Go on. Oh, the internet seems to have gone strange. Just wait to see if Chloe comes back. What? What? Oh, okay. Are we yeah, good? Your internet's... Is your internet's cracked? I know. Yeah, I'm fine. But you, you, you keep losing me, I think. No, that was the first time. I think you're back now. Yeah, I'm fine. I can't tell what's going on. Yeah, I, I look. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, okay, we're all back. Okay. You're freezing. I'm. I'm still moving. Oh, okay. Well, it seems okay now. Sorry about that, guys. Um, okay, so she says, I'm struggling to maintain my level of kilograms and lifting. I don't think I'm at full fatigue level, but I'm definitely not feeling as strong. Shall I schedule an actual deload week? Oh, yes. or just reduce the kilograms and feel it out dependent on the day or the exercise? Yeah, definitely a deload week, especially for you. Yeah, can't you are you lift properly, you train hard you are in a deficit right now, you have a lot going on, you know, and you have been going and going and going for, uh, for a minute. And you, I saw this coming and I've honestly, I swear to God, I've been waiting for you to be like, guys, I had, I'm having really bad sessions. I'm feeling really lethargic and tired and fatigued. I would say take a full week. You've got options. I personally would say take a full week away from training um, or at least a full five days. And I would say, get, hit your steps, go for walks, um, stay, continue to nail your calories if you want. Another option is that you have like a little bit of a diet break, come really focus on sleep and recovery and then hit the ground running again. And you might find initially that your strength that first week is taking a bit of a hit. That's meant to happen. That's part of it. Um, and then you will start to build up again. And hopefully, hopefully within that two week period, you might even be lifting heavier. I mean, it, dep it depends. Yeah, I agree. And I actually really like a lot of the time people do deloads by just reducing the percentage of lifts. Like you might lift less. You might we might like be like just do two sets instead of four or just do half the reps that you have programmed or lift half the weight or something. But I actually think there's a huge benefit to taking time away from the gym. And I know you will one kind of struggle with that and two, you'll come back absolutely buzzing to get into it. So if you can take five days off, I think that's the best advice. So I totally agree with Chloe. And I think you'll come back mega refreshed, both from like a physical and a psychological standpoint. A hundred percent, guys. Like don't, if you are, if you have been training for, I would say anywhere beyond four weeks and you are starting to like be like, oh, just even like just psychologically, you feel great in training and then you never regret it after. And that's great. If you're starting to feel a bit pissed off by it, 
taking a like like I say I five days really I think is a really nice time amount of time away from the gym you will be chomping at the bit psychologically to get back in there and that is physiologically is going to have a huge impact so it's really important and Emma's like if you if you're like no I feel fatigued but I really want to keep I'm into a really nice pattern it's 30 to 70 percent reduction in volume is what you want so instead of doing three sets do one instead of doing four sets do one or two um or instead of doing I don't know you know five sessions a week do two sessions a week um but I really I agree with Emma Emma agrees with me it, it's a it's a foregone conclusion just taking a few days away from the gym is great yes okay yeah on the live yeah we're good okay um I keep losing it it's so annoying Oh, because I went to check if we were frozen. Okay. Emily Kingseller. Oh, lovely. I know, a girl with a very scary second name. I love it. Um, hi, I'm really interested in your views on people recommending a drink containing sodium slash salt elements as your first drink in the morning over coffee. If it is recommended, how do you take it? As I assume there's more to it than just drinking a cup of salty water. <laughs> there's not. I currently start <laughs> oh, really. I currently start my day with a greens drink from the Protein Works. Many thanks. I don't know about starting your day with it instead of coffee, but I think starting your day with an if if hydration. So James really struggles with hydration. He's massive. He sweats. His body temperature is ridiculous. He wakes up every morning just drenched in sweat. Um, it's really important for him, especially if he's going training. That the first thing he does when he wakes up in the morning is goes and rehydrates. Um, and like whether you're talking about pudding, it's really it's it's kind of like salt and sugar. And obviously, there's loads of other like vitamins and minerals you want to get in there and stuff like that. But I think it was yeah Dame Kelly Holmes again love coming back to Dame Kelly said that she just used to put a spoonful of salt in her orange juice before training and that was it that was all she needed to do um and yeah that is really all you need to do I don't know why people are saying you should have it instead of coffee these are two completely different things yeah I think it comes from there's two podcasts that are sponsored by this drink the Huberman podcast and I think Modern Wisdom is as well they both talk about it quite a lot and there is a rationale for it and he, uh, especially the Huberman podcast kind of goes into that um, and it's something to do with your neurons and how they fire in the morning and actually there is a rationale for not having coffee first thing I still have coffee first thing because I just really look forward to having coffee first thing but there is there is a, a reason why you wouldn't do that so it is potentially a benefit to doing that and I think I guess like more more so like on the rehydration standpoint and the fact that electrolytes are generally a pretty good thing to have especially to kind of start your day like you're starting your day on a positive right getting rehydrated doing something it's also much easier to replace a habit than just to stop one so if, if I was like just stop drinking coffee in the morning it's much harder than me being like stop drinking coffee in the morning and instead have this electrolyte drink um yeah so I mean I would try it see how you feel It'd be really interesting to actually note how you feel, you know, like do a little diary of it and be like, I'm going to do this for two weeks and see if my energy levels or my concentration in the morning are any better. Uh, and if it works for you, keep doing it. And if it doesn't, don't know, go, go back to doing what you prefer. 
Well, I would say as well is that if the, if you really look into this and you find that having coffee in the morning really isn't great for you, you know, whatever the reasonings are, I don't know this argument, I haven't read into it. I would say, you know, don't then start drinking coffee after lunchtime because that's going to really start to push into your sleep-wake cycle and that's probably less ideal. Um, so just be aware. Yeah, it's, it's not, not having coffee in the morning, but it's like not having it first thing as soon as you wake up kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, fine. Um, anything else on the live? No. Nope. Stephanie Catherine Gardner. Hi, ladies. Please, can I just ask, is it better to have... Oh, we just did this. Let's ignore that. <laughs> okay. Um, no, we did that too. Oh, I think I'm forgetting to remove them as I go. Okay. Hi, ladies. This is my first time on the EC method, but I've been following Chloe for ages and listening to all of the podcast and EC method podcast content that I can get my hands on. I'm really loving the program so far, but I know that my challenge will be consistency over time. I'm going to give it my best shot. I think I had a conversation with you, Jennifer, today. I have two questions. Firstly, do you know anything about sugar cravings around ovulation specifically? I feel like I get sugar cravings when I'm ovulating, but when I Google it, I don't find anything. That's either because it's a woman's issue and it's chronically underfunded in research and academia. Patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. Or it's because I'm full of shit and it's not even a thing. Uh, Emma, do, have you heard about cravings for sugar around ovulation specifically? Not specific. I mean, like you can crave anything at any point and it could be around ovulation and everyone's slightly different and it doesn't matter that there's not research to back it up. Like, are you feeling that? Do you notice a pattern in that in yourself? If you do, then it's legitimate, then it's real, then we need to find a way to deal with it. What difference does it make if there's a study that shows that or not? Like it doesn't, doesn't make any difference whatsoever. This, this is kind of similar to when people are like, is it possible that during the moon cycle I will weigh more or something like they need some kind of rationale as to why they might weigh slightly more at like one time of the month or one day or one certain food group might be causing x y or z like let's look at the realistically what's happening you're craving sugar let's deal with that problem and not worry too much about whether there's research to back up because whether there is or isn't there's still the problem to be dealt with so if you're struggling with sugar cravings that's what we need to focus on as opposed to finding research to back that up or to not back that up. Yeah, I agree. I definitely, I have a one-to-one -one client, Nikki, whose ovulation um, symptoms basically are far more um, impactful than her um, periods, uh, than her PMS. Um, so it's really interesting to, to monitor that. And yeah, look, you know, we're, we're talking about oestrogen progesterone and all the other hormones that decide to peak and trough during that time 100 percent, it can affect your um your your hunger signals your cravings your sleep of course it can you know it, it's, it's essentially your oestrogen dropping your progesterone rising and that, that will have an impact on you and yeah i agree with emma just because nobody's standing up and screaming about it online doesn't mean it doesn't happen um the other thing so that can happen as well is, is a change in temperature which can yeah. impact your sleep which can then impact your hunger, which can then impact your cravings. Like there are loads of reasons it could happen, but it's interesting, like really good that you've noticed that pattern in yourself because then you can foresee it and then you can be like, oh, okay, I always crave a bit more for these couple of days. 
I'm either going to sit with it knowing it will pass or I'm going to make sure I include, I don't know, a packet of Maltesers within my calories on those days because that will help with my cravings. I thought you were going to say a packet of Marlboro Lights. I was like, Meh. yeah, because you know what? If you're hungry, just smoke. <laughs> There's a solution. I mean, it, it worked in the 50s and 40s. Um, okay. Second question is, what are your thoughts on MLM coaches? I had a bad experience with one a year ago when I signed up to Smeech Smoddy in a weak moment. It was way what? too it was way too intense. It was way too restrictive and ultimately felt very unhealthy to me. That same coach is all over social media calling, <laughs> calling herself a life mentor and giving thousands of women dietary and exercise advice, coaching a dozen or so directly, like she's a qualified expert, which she's not. She's just someone who's selling a package. <laughs> 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 she's even implying now that she's a mental health professional I know for a fact she works in administration it makes me so angry Emma do you know who this is no idea but it okay. sounds to me like you know like Herbalife distributors yeah. like I, I actually had a client who was a it wasn't Herbalife it was like some aloe vera MLM shit and she was like asking me how these products work. And I was like, well, one, they don't. But two, you're not only was she selling them, but she was like a like a level up. Like she had people working under her to sell them and stuff. And I was like, this is such a freaking con. Like you don't even understand what you're doing. And because nutritionist isn't a registered term, they can be like, I'm yeah. a Herbalife nutritionist. And you're like, oh, nutritionist. That sounds legit. Like, of course you do. If you didn't know what Herbalife is, you don't know how crap all that is like I would fall for that like if it was a different industry I'd be like oh okay that that seems pretty legit um so I can see how people fall for it but yeah it's, it's really worrying I find it absolutely fucking terrifying terrifying that I once was like watching friends of mine who walked off a reality show set and just decided to walk into coaching and I was like wait like what and it was it's so awkward on a personal level when you know these people to be like you're you have no qualifications you have no experience and because they would never have been on that reality show if they didn't already look fucking fantastic they look great which is why they're on the fucking tv show to begin with then they turn around and they're like well this is how i got into and it's like what and and they literally are selling to thousands and thousands of women and first of all on like a professional level for people like Emma and I who actually were like I want to work in this industry so now I'm going to go take a year out of my life and go and get qualified you know to do your level two to do your level three to do bolt on nutrition courses to get on the ground experience with clients that you fucking need to continue to upskill this is years of your life and it's hard fucking work and it it, it really drives me mad and always drove me mad because I think I always straddle that line between doing what I do as a professional and also having a profile in the public eye which you know I'm trying very hard to run far far away from but it's there you know and I would just watch on either side of it and it would make me angry that I knew people like Emma who were having less success in their industry than some of my friends who had never in a, if I picked up a book 
on physiology. Like, couldn't, could, I'd be amazed if they could even tell me what the word anabolic meant. Like, it's just ridiculous. So it makes me angry on that level. And now, what seemed to have has happened now is that a lot of these same girls, but also just everyone, even people in our industry, have taken it upon themselves to become this like life mentor. They're like, I can tell you how to live your best life. I can tell you how to be a raging success. Listen to me. And it's like, you're some 25 year old who's like been on a TV show or PT in a local gym. No, you've never done anything. Nothing phenomenal has ever happened to you. Like, why are you telling people who, who actually probably, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of our clients on the EC method are them, have gone through a really hard time and overcome it, you know, who, who they should be writing the fucking book. I won't even mention this person. Someone recently, you know what, I can't because I'll give it all away. But my parents recently were telling me about someone I know who's written a self-help book. And I was like, why? And they were like, well, you know, she was really nice when we interviewed her. And I was like, yeah, but why is she written? Why is she written this out? She hasn't done anything. What, what the fuck? What? Oh, drives me mad. <laughs> I think especially when you've come from privilege and I like, not that it, eradicate your privilege but we both very much like acknowledge that as well like I think if you've come from this huge privilege and then you're like oh yeah say so this is how I did this this and this and it's like yeah well of course that was easy and I think a lot of people don't even have any life experience either because they're 21 and they've been on like Love Island or something so yeah. it is scary but I think that's not going to change unfortunately and what we need to change is people being a bit more savvy and questioning these things and being like where are your you know like how long have you been in this industry why should I come to this person and actually sometimes you don't even need to ask you need to look at their I don't know wikipedia them and be like oh so and so was on love island and then did this and now has an instagram following like mm, is that someone I want to take advice about my health from or should I go to someone who's you know spent years doing a degree has 10 years experience and knows what they're talking about and can actually like talk about these things and explain these things yeah it, and, and I mean, it is frustrating as a as a professional, but I think we would waste so much time and energy being frustrated by that, which we could spend coaching clients and trying to make a positive impact. Um, but you're right, like we do need to be more savvy and close so spot on in that. I mean, I used to think of this even in the fitness industry of like if you've got if you've been sponsored by I mean, like even Grenade, right? They don't sponsor people that aren't in shape and then suddenly they start taking Grenade and they get in shape. They sponsor people that are already in shape like and I'm not like I don't want to pick on grenade because every supplement company does this every marketing campaign does this people don't pick people with like really poor skin to to market their skincare they're like oh you've already got great skin <laughs> great why don't I send you this cream and you can say that you use it like and when you take a step back you're like yeah of course I know that happens or like you look at like some box dye that Cheryl Cole's on the front of you like do you really think that Cheryl Cole uses box dye no of course she doesn't like do you really think that um, Cristiano Ronaldo got lean taking Herbalife? No, because we knew him for freaking years before as the world's best football player, before he was sponsored by Herbalife. Like, it makes no sense and we can all see it, but we're like blind to it in some ways. Yeah. And there's like that trust element of like, oh, I trust Cheryl Cole. Like she wouldn't leave me astray on my box side. But no, yeah, it's, it's, it's very odd, the, the like consumer mindset. It's marketing. And, you know, you can even go as far as the game changers. They had all these amazing athletes saying that all of a sudden their performance got better when they went vegan. And it's like, what about Cristiano Ronaldo, who is like a staunch, savage meat eater, the best footballer in the world? You know, what about Michael Jordan, who smoked a cigar 
and ate a soft beet sandwich every time he went to a game. The best basketball player of all time. Yeah, and who made the documentary? And why would they choose these athletes to say, think about it? Like, just take a step back and think about it. And this way, Emma said, I actually haven't listened to that podcast you were on, Emma. Emma did a podcast the other day. We talked about it after, and I think she said this on the podcast, like, Chloe and my, the worst part of EC Method is when we go to promote it. We hate it. It's got nothing to do with our, with what we love doing um, as coaches. And uh, to be honest, it makes us cringe out a bit. Like, we're like, oh, we're going to have to promote it now. Like, also now there's so much, you know, what you should and shouldn't say about women getting in shape that even that makes it a fucking minefield. Although anyone yet, yeah, actually, no one's actually come at me yet about how I do it, although I'm sure it's coming. Um, but like, it's the worst part of what we do. And this is the crux of what we do. And I, again, this sounds like really, um, what's the word? Like, like I'm promoting us right now, it, which makes me cringe. But it's like, that's what you want to look for. You want to look for people who are doing it because they fucking love their job. And that's what makes them good at their job. And it's a job. It's not a money-making scheme. And like I say, you look at these girls who are coming off these reality shows. And I can tell you right now, them and their agents are sat down going, okay, we need a lifestyle brand. You need to go into workout clothes. Maybe we can do a bikini brand. And it is all a money-making scheme because they only have a few years of looking like that to make as much fucking cash as they can. And unfortunately, a lot of these girls came in at a time when when health and fitness was really on the up and now it's life coaching and now it's let me write a self-help book about how I accepted myself it finally you know being a size 18 instead of a size 14 and that's the new thing and it's just so fucking transparent to me yeah uh, you're so right as well like we always text each other this after like the doors close right like after like the Monday that we start we're like thank god because now we've got eight weeks of coaching before we have to think about oh so, like emails and like marketing and, and I don't know like I, we just like hate the sales side and we're like we just want to coach but realistically if you want to help more people you need to spread the message you need to do some kind of marketing and sales so we, we have to do it but yeah I think that it kind of shows the difference like we we love during the easy method when we can just focus on coaching we don't have to think about the next intake coming up which is also why we love that so many grads stay on because it's just like great we can just keep you guys really happy and give you a great service and coach you and support you yeah you get it's so much better for the client and the coach the longer that you have the client like all of our grads will attest to this, every single one of them, how much better their results, their enjoyment, the process, the relationship with us gets, the longer they spend. And it's so much night, honestly. I just wish we could keep Well, same. I mean, a good example is like why we know Kanchan so well, right? Because yeah. she's been here for so long that we know exactly what she needs, when I she needs it, probably. Yeah. yeah. And you can foresee it coming and yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, that's something that like as a business value, we put, top is retention They're like we care more about retaining clients than getting new clients 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah okay anything on the live no but i really need a wee yeah me too and i think we've been going basically an hour so let's go and guys we will see you on monday at uh, 4 p.m same time okay love you bye